Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church. Thank you so much for being here. Will you stand with me as we read through God's Word? If you'd like to follow along with the reading and you need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one with you. Or if you know someone who needs a Bible, please take this one and give it to them. We'd love for you to have God's Word in your hands throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, and can be found on that Bible on page 977. Follow along with me as I read. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. God, we uh, just want to pray for Jason this morning as he delivers the message to us. I pray that you would open our hearts and reveal yourself to us through your word. Pray for these things in your name. Amen. I don't know what comes to your mind whenever you think of the word hostility, like we read in in the scripture together. Um, hostility takes me back uh, to the third grade, the first time I ever found myself hostile towards another. I've been in plenty of awkward situations, even as like a kindergartner, preschooler, first grader. I've always said stuff that would embarrass my mom or you know, do things that later I regret. I remember one time in the first grade, we, were, um, we had uh, the incubator. We were doing quail eggs at Jefferson Elementary and teacher was trying to show us you know, how, how we make quail and we had an incubator in the room and she left the room and so I was like, let's run laps around the room while the teacher's gone, me and another buddy of mine. So we started chasing each other and I tripped and fell and fell into the incubator and knocked all the quail eggs around. And then I asked everybody like, you're not gonna tell, you're not gonna tell. Everybody swore they weren't gonna tell the teacher. Yeah, teacher comes in the room, who did this? I just see all these fingers pointing at me. But I wasn't hostile. I felt like, hey, I, I did it. I have what's coming. You know, whatever you need to do about what I did, I receive it. But when I was in the third grade, I was in Miss Lancaster's class, and uh, she had all of these awesome toys and games and all this stuff in the back of her room where you could see it. And I said, Miss Lancaster, why can't, why can't we play with that stuff? She said, oh, that's for when it rains during recess and we can't go outside. I'm like, I wish it would rain every day. Because she had Rock'em Sock'em Robots in the back. Y'all remember Rock'em Sock'em Robot? Yes! Like, before video games, we had stuff like that. So me and a friend of mine named Charlie Grass in the third grade were playing Rock'em Sock'em Robots because it was raining outside, and I was annihilating his robot, destroying his robot. Like, best two out of three? You want to best do, like, best 15 out of, out of 15? I don't, you know, I, don't, I don't know where you want to go with this, Charlie, but I'm working you over. He got so enraged that he grabbed my robot's arm so it couldn't punch anymore and started laughing and then just started annihilating mine. So I took the Rock'em Sock'em robots and got them out of the way, and I Rock'em Sock'em Charlie Grass. <laughs> I mounted up on him and did not stop till the teacher pulled me off. She brought me outside. I say it is right or okay. It was evil and sin, and I did it. And we went out in the hallway, and she said, you boys shake hands. He he went out to shake my hand. I said, I ain't shaking his hand. She said, you need to tell him you're sorry. I said, but I'm not sorry. And so that was the day Miss Lancaster knew, if you ask Jason, he'll tell you the truth. I did not apologize to Charlie Grass. 
Now, two things happened from that day. One is, unfortunately, he's a much larger man than I am today, and I would not rock him, sock him, Charlie Grass. The other thing is we became best friends from that. That really don't help the story much, but we actually did, and we could always go back and laugh about the time in third grade whenever we got into it. But um, I don't know what you think of hostility, but this hostile environment, whether it's relational, maybe you've got relationships that way where you feel a certain way toward people, you know it's wrong, you're trying to work on it, you know, but you're just not that saved yet. <laughs> you know, maybe it's political, maybe you feel it at the polls or whenever you start to talk about politics at work or whatever, you feel hostility. Maybe it is racial, you feel the tension between different colors or cultures and that sort of thing, and, and you're either on the giving or receiving end of that. Um, what we're going to talk about today is how Jesus has killed hostility among brothers and sisters in Christ. The reality is that for a brother and sister or brother and brother or sister and sister in Jesus, we should have more unity together than any political affiliation or affinity or cultural identity could bring among us. Now, not uniformity where we all look the same and think the same and like the same foods and do the same thing. That's not what I mean. That's not what the scriptures mean. But there's unity around the gospel of Jesus. There's unity about a way that brings human flourishing to the earth. There's unity about a way that we long for Jesus to come and that we believe that heaven will be found when heaven really comes to earth. So we don't believe heaven will be found in a relationship. We don't think it'll be found through a political system or a form of government. We don't think heaven will be found uh, if everyone was uh, you know, just like me. We believe heaven is heaven and it's on its way and we long for Jesus to bring it. And so that gathers us up Sunday to Sunday, shoulder to shoulder, worshiping Jesus, confessing our sin, trusting in him, uh, shoulder to shoulder on mission. If I keep saying that stuff, I'm going to give away the whole sermon and we could just go home. But, but I, I got to earn my paycheck, so let's go. Uh, we, we got, we, I want you to go back to verse 11. Uh, we're going to cover verses 11 through 18 today. I know we only read a couple of verses, but I got more to say than that um, because we left off at verse 11 last week. And so Paul, is, Paul says here in verse 11, therefore, and that therefore, every time you see therefore, always ask yourself in the Bible, what's it there for? And it's a summary or a, a wrap up to say like all that stuff I just told you. So therefore, in light of that, we mean this. <clears throat> and so the, I preached that sermon last week and those previous scriptures, sermons are up on Facebook, YouTube. Uh, I think we are on, uh, uh, what's that? Uh, where's Joe Rogan at? We're, Spotify, yeah, we're, we're at, it's Joe Rogan, Grace Point Church, we're right there with him, um, he's number one, we're probably number two, I don't know where we're at on the podcast list, but we're in there, we're in there, so you can go get caught up on that, you can go find that pretty easy, um, but, but to wrap it up, last week the big idea was that we're saved by grace through faith that there's not by the works of man that we become Christians. There's nothing we do that impresses and pleases God. God is pleased and impressed with Jesus. Jesus lived a life of righteousness. It means he never, he never committed a sin, not a single sin ever. He never broke any of God's commandments. And he gives us credit for what he did. He takes the blame for what we did wrong at the cross. So with his life, he accomplishes righteousness. With his death, he accomplishes what we call atonement or propitiation. Those are fancy ways to say he died the death we deserve. He absorbs the wrath of God against our sin that we justly deserve. And then if it just stopped there, it would be an innocent man in, a, in an unjust death, we would have this great philosophy about how to live that would help us smile at people we hate 
right? That's what we'd be able to do. How to be nice to people that you hate. But on the third day, Christ raised from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death. He ascends into heaven. He sends Holy Spirit to descend upon those who would believe in him by faith. So God is merciful in that he did not put justice on us who deserve it. He's gracious in that he attributes the work of Christ to us. And the way that we get it, religion would tell you, this is like being Baptist minus Jesus. Religion would say, God gave us these 10 commandments. Go live by them. Once you accomplish those, God will be impressed with you. He lets you in his family. He won't send you to hell. So in your religious heart, what you do is like, well, I can't keep these, so I'll just keep them better than him and better than her. And so that's the way we start to rank ourselves. The religious heart pretends that we're without sin, but our greatest sin is that of pride or comparison. And comparison is a thief of joy. So if you have a religious heart, you're also no fun to be around. You're a pain in the butt. You should quit it, repent, and worship Jesus, okay? Yeah, I do have stuff to say. So that being said, the gospel is this, that Christ goes in our place and, and he becomes our sin. He's also the life that we live. So the goodness about us, the righteousness is put on our account. We get a new identity, okay? That's the thing. Our identity has changed. Christianity isn't essentially information that other people don't have. It's not that. It's not actions that other people don't have. It's an identity that is given to you because of Jesus. How do you get it? You trust that it's true. You trust in his work the same way that you trusted your car would get you here today. Or maybe you didn't have one and you know what it's like to not trust the car. So, but you do know what it's like to trust. Anyways, you can go catch up on that sermon, but it's essentially, he's saying, since the gospel has reconciled us to the Father, since it has this vertical um, implications for us, it also has horizontal implications for our relationships. And he's gonna work it into some hostility between the Jewish folk and the Gentile folk. So look with me further on in verse 11. He says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles. Now, Paul doesn't know you can get canceled and you can't say you people, but he's just talking about my people. I'm a Gentile. I didn't grow up under a pork ban or with posters of Abraham on my wall. I didn't know much about Jewish culture until I started reading the Bible. I just grew up, you know, plain Gentile. And he says, you people, you Gentiles. Paul didn't know. First service didn't laugh at that. They didn't think it was funny. There you I appreciate that. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, so before you were made spiritually alive, like we talked about last week, you were spiritually dead in your sins, living by the flesh, and you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. I'll just pause here and let you know some of you are like, oh, what are my kids learning in kids ministry right now? Are they in the same verses? Are y'all doing biology back there? No, they probably cross-reference today to some, you know, same big idea, but different verses. And what Paul's saying is, remember whenever the Jewish folks who have this covenant that goes all the way back to Abraham circumcising himself and circumcising Isaac, and that was kind of a sign of cleanliness and a promise Abraham made to live a certain way in the eyes of God. And so all Israelite fellas were circumcised and all Gentile people were uncircumcised. And this was a derogatory statement. This was a way of the Jewish people saying, you, you're nasty, you're unclean, you're dirty, you're filthy. I am varsity, you're junior varsity. I am attractive, you are unattractive. I am a winner, you are a loser. Do I need to keep going or you get the idea? Like you're less than us. And Paul is saying, remember before Jesus, this was the life that you experienced around Jewish folk. You were uncircumcised and by what is called the, the circumcision. They put you down, which is made in the flesh by hands. He's saying it was a covenant. It was a thing that man did. And he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So there was, there was a time when that the way that we would relate to Israel was, or the, to God was by we would have to become an Israelite. We would have to leave our land if we grew up Philistine or wherever. We'd have to move there. We'd have to eat the dietary law, so no, no lobster, no you know, shrimp, no, no pork. I don't even know how, how do you have breakfast you know, without bacon. But you would live that way. You would have a king who was the representative of your nation to the Lord. You'd have a priest who brought you near to the throne room of heaven and prayed on your behalf. You'd have to take your animal on the day of atonement and he would metaphorically transfer the sins of your family to that animal and there'd be a blood atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins for one more year. Like you'd have to become an Israelite. You'd have to become Jewish. And so, so there, there was this tension that set in with the Israelites. Part of it was just spiritually to where they saw themselves as cleaner than everybody else. Elite and everybody else was less than. Now, God didn't tell them that. He didn't tell them to think or act or believe that way, but that kind of sunk into their hearts. But the hostility comes from a real place. And here's what the hostility started with, and it looks like, where it was like Israel versus the world, you know? They had a little Tupac in them, all right? So here's where, here's where it comes from. Abraham is our great, great grandpappy in the faith for all of us. And God made a promise to him that I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you, and if you'll walk, go to where I, where I told you, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. And for the longest time, he was the father of a nation. He's now become the father of many nations because the church. Now, God made a promise to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who could not have kids, that they would have a child. And the promise would come through that child and it would continue through his family. And so when they heard this, they thought, okay, well, but they were elderly and she was barren. And they put their heads together and thought, we need to help God out. So Sarah comes to her husband and says, you know, there's this lady named Hagar that works for us. I think you should sleep with her. I think that y'all should have a baby. We'll take the baby and raise him as our own. And maybe that's how God will work his promise in our family. Now we've all had dumb ideas. That was a dumb idea. We've all been there. So we can see ourselves in this, in this situation maybe a little bit. But Abraham had a Homer Simpson moment. He goes, sounds like a good idea to me, though, you know? So he does exactly what she recommends. He did not lead his wife well. And you know she was longing for a child, so they got a child. Then guess what happens between Hagar and Sarah? It gets as weird as you could imagine that it would get. It's like daytime TV stuff. It's bad. You know, polygamy is in the Bible. I know some of y'all are like, polygamy's in the Bible. Always in there is a bad idea. Never in there like, do this, it, it works. It's like, no, if you do this, this is what happens. So, so Hagar starts to mock Sarah because she can't have babies. And all this hostility happens between their tents. And eventually, Abraham has to go to Hagar, who he does love, and Ishmael, who is their son, and say, you have to leave. You can't live here anymore. That's terrible. That's horrible. The right move, probably, but horrible. It should have never happened. It was, it was wrong. And so he takes, so he sends them out and, and he gives Ishmael a blessing. He's, he's taken care of. He's, he has provision, but, he, but, but they have to be cast out. And then God is faithful. And then Abraham and Sarah do have a son. 
He heals Sarah's womb and Isaac is born. And now you have Abraham's family living around Ishmael and his family. And there's this hostility and strife as they're both trying to raise up and find this promised land. And so Abraham is the biological father of both of these boys. But the promise, like where the church is gonna come from, the lineage of faith that Christ will be born from is gonna go through the one that God had said would be the child of promise. The child of promise, not the child of put your head together and strategize. I mean, how often do, is the last thing we do is pray. The first thing we do is plan. Let us learn from Abraham and Sarah and, and Hagar and let us pray and, and dwell on what God told us to do and let our plans be on that foundation. Uh, that's a whole other sermon though. So let's keep, let's keep moving. So you can imagine the hostility between Sarah and Hagar and you can imagine the hostility between Isaac and Ishmael. So Ishmael and Hagar, his family, they are Gentile. Here's something else that happens. There's a story where um, as Abraham's family settles into the land of Canaan, what will eventually become Israel and is the promised land, a great famine happens there. <clears throat> they find themselves in difficult, difficult circumstances. The only way to survive is to go where all the bennies are, the benefits, the stimulus checks, and the grain. It's in Egypt. So they leave that country, they go down to Egypt and they dwell there for a while. They all get along real good and this family keeps multiplying and eventually becomes enough people to have a nation. A Pharaoh raises up in Egypt and goes, this ain't good for us because one of our neighboring enemies could make a pact with these Israelites and they could defeat us from the inside out. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna strip their human dignity. We're gonna strip their human rights and their civil rights. We will treat them as livestock. We will breed them up to, to work. They're, they become slaves. We buy them, we sell them, we trade them. They can't vote. They have no um, rights. And that's the, that started to happen. And then God raised up a deliverer named Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, we're leaving. God told us to go home. Pharaoh says, you can't. He says, we can. He says, you can't. They get kind of redneck there for a little bit. And then God puts plagues on Egypt and they start to leave. And so if you grew up Israelite and you met somebody who was Egyptian, you probably you know, had one of those winces. Like, you know when your kids are little and you tell them to do something, they don't want to do it and they just get the hatred chills? Who knows what I'm talking about? Good, I just, it's not, my family's not cursed. It's glad to know that happens you. But that, so they grew up around these people, the Philistines. They were always fighting the Philistines, David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. There was all this bloodshed, Babylonians coming in. If you heard of Nebuchadnezzar coming in and uh, holding them captive and taking the best and brightest of Israel back to, to Babylon. And then the Assyrians would come in. They were occupied. And so they were always at war. And there, there was literal hostility uh, over the land and, and hostility among the people. And so, there's, so that's kind of a teaching segment, but there's still host hostility today among the enemies of God. So like the, the other night, the Grammys were on. I didn't watch them. I caught up on it later and, and saw, you know, CBS was like, hey, we're ready to worship the devil, you know? Like, you know, like I, I'm all for let's listen to music and filter it out and live as missionaries. But you need to know there is real hostility. There's a real culture war. There's, there's, there is a real war where it's like, hey, we want to defame the church. We want to strip away the church. We want the church to go away. Now, it's not going to happen. It may, it may send us underground or whatever, but we do engage in that war where there is hostility. And now, the way we engage is we evangelize. We live as missionaries. We vote for our 
convictions, like go to the polls, all that sort of stuff. We, you know, we, we don't go in and capture cities. We go in and try to see Jesus capture hearts. We plant churches aggressively all over the place. That is the way that we're in hostility with those outside of the kingdom. But there is hostility. But what Paul is writing to say, that hostility dies whenever we're made family with God. So at one time, you were hostiles. You were the you Gentiles, you junior varsity less than, so that's how you felt. That's the way you were treated. And now you've been made family. So he says, but now in verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is powerful so he says, for he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what he's saying is the way that you became family wasn't by becoming Jewish. He's, he's saying you didn't come through circumcision. You didn't come through the dietary law. You didn't come by whatever cultural means. You, you were made family through the blood of Christ. So here's the, the compelling thing. We're brought near by Christ's blood. It's, at the, it's the blood of Jesus that, that covers the sins of sinful people, and Jesus becomes our sin. That means that Jesus is also our peace. How do we get peace among brothers? How do we get peace among the hostiles? How do, how do we become family? It's by resting in and worshiping Jesus. So like in this place today, there should be no hostility because we are literally shoulder to shoulder singing to and celebrating Jesus and the work that he's done. We're confessing our sin. We are working up the love to forgive others who have sinned against us. And in this room, we're celebrating Jesus. We're shoulder to shoulder celebrating not only that we're sons and daughters of God, but we're also brothers and sisters with each other. So we have peace. It's there. We don't have to go get peace. It's been made for us, and it's made through Jesus. Another thing that Christ has done through his blood is he's equalized all of us to where maybe culturally uh, Jewish folks could say, we are clean, you are unclean. What Jesus came to say was, none of y'all are clean. You're all naughty. None of y'all are getting Santa gifts this year. You're all bad. You're all bad because some of you don't do things with your hands that the Gentiles do, but you're doing them in your heart. You've just got too much pride for your neighbor to know what's going on in your heart. And so what Jesus has done is come and said, I know some of you have heard uh, not to commit adultery, but I tell you, if you lust with a woman or man, uh, it's the same as sleeping with them. You've heard it said not to murder, but I'm telling you that if you've hated someone in your heart, it's the same as murdering them. Like you're guilty of those sins. Maybe you kept the letter of the law, but in the spirit of it, you're guilty. And so all of us need to bend our knee to Jesus. We trust in his work for our righteousness, trust in his death for our forgiveness, trust in his resurrection for our hope. And so what he's done is he's made us a church. So in the Old Testament, I alluded to this a few minutes ago, but God's people were primarily marked by blessing that we would live different than the Philistines and all these Gentile nations around us. <clears throat> and so what we would do is like in, in Gentile nations, they would sleep with whoever they wanted to. And as Israelites, we would we need marriage, heterosexual monogamous marriage, and that's where the marriage bed is. That's where sex goes. So we'll use it in a way that glorifies God. And then rain would fall on our corn and we'd have corn. 
And other people, they might just slaughter their neighbors or, or kill people because they looked at them funny. And in Israel, we would have justice and we would not take vengeance and vengeance belongs to the Lord and we would trust our systems and then rain would fall on our crops. And it was profound that the other neighbors would go, man, the God of the Israelites is, is the most powerful God. Those people live different than everybody else, but when they do, God blesses them. And then Jesus comes and starts the church. And the veil is torn, so we no longer have a priest to go mediate between God and man. We don't need a king because Jesus is our king. And the prophets don't have to speak truth to power to us anymore because Jesus is the true and better prophet who speaks truth and love that leads to repentance. And he's our leader. And then now, rather than all of us moving to Israel, all the Christians in Israel moved to all the countries and made the church that transcends all nations. You want to eat bacon? Eat bacon in Jesus' name. Now, it's cool. He has fulfilled the dietary law. It's not like Jesus said, hey, there was a law for a long time, but ah, that didn't really work. Let's get rid of that. All right, Jesus, it's all new. No, Jesus comes and fulfills it. He accomplishes it. So the reason that you can get eat bacon is because you get credit for being under the pork ban all those years because Jesus is your righteousness. So as Christians, rather than us trying to prove and live up to a certain standard, we are living from his providence, from his provision. He's given us a new name, now we live from it. And not only has he given us a new name, he's given us new attitudes and affections because he ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts from the inside out. So now where we would once conceal our sin, we confess it. When we used to throat punch people who sinned against us or just be nice to them because we're super passive and though we hate them, now we have a capacity to love them and truly forgive them. And now God's people are primarily marked by comfort of the Holy Spirit, that Christians don't always find themselves in the most comfortable of circumstances. A lot of times when we live a life that's pleasing to God, we get picked on or you know, uh, there's, there's a form of persecution that comes with that, especially in places outside of the States, but it's coming for us. And so we're a people who are marked by being profoundly blessed and comforted, even though our circumstances are not that comfortable. So what has he done? He's made us a church. He's made us a family. The promise to Abraham has come true, and it didn't come by Abraham sleeping with other women. It came by Jesus coming and living in our place, dying in our place, and raising from the dead to kill the hostility. That means that two brothers or two sisters in Christ should have more unity than what politics could bring us, than what our affinities could bring us, than what our ethnicity or our cultural preferences could bring us. Now, we're, that uni, unity is not uniformity, man. I, I'm all for different rest. I'm glad that, that we don't just have chilies. I'm glad for that. Like, chilies is all right. But I also love all the other foods that come from all the other cultures. Like, everything comes down to groceries for me, you know? But there's a way that we appreciate where we're from, where all those cultures bend the knee to Christ, and there's a way that that diversity, which was God's idea, like a beautiful bouquet of flowers, bends itself back to the one who created it, and it rolls up into glory and worship of Christ the creator. So there should be unity among us, because in verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and preached to those who were near. For through him, we both have access uh, in one spirit to the Father. So here's what Jesus came and did. He didn't show up like Miss Lancaster in the third. I love you, Miss Lancaster. She's Miss Kelly now. She married the principal. That was a power move. <laughs> and they're awesome people. They still live in Pryor, Oklahoma. We're friends on Facebook. But she brought, basically brought us out in the hallway and said, who had it first? 
And, and if you've been around here long enough, this is my favorite little game to play for parenting. But typically when our kids are fighting over something, uh, you show up and say who had it first because that's the way you get back to watching the Super Bowl the fastest. And, <laughs> and you, you treat it like a real estate thing and like somebody stole something from somebody. But really what's going on when two kids are fighting over something is hatred in their heart toward one another. Neither one of them wants the other one to be happy. They both want their own happiness. And I will hurt you. I will rock them, sock them you. I will do whatever I have to do to get it. What really is going on is a heart issue, not a behavioral issue. And the only way for, for love in your heart, for someone in the supernatural way, is the preaching of the good news of Jesus. Is the Holy Spirit of God transforming us from the inside out, putting love in us for other people to where we don't just need something from people, we want something for people. The only way that happens is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus didn't show up and say, who had it first? Oh, the Jewish people. Oh, Abraham was the father of a nation for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, so we'll keep it that way. I'll just show up and be real Jewish and make friends with people who aren't, try to make them be Jewish. Jesus showed up and fulfilled the law and said anyone who would believe in his life, death, and resurrection would be saved and we're all made family, ending the hostility. What that means is, is that we can show up from all of our different backgrounds, all of our different affinities, all of our different stuff, and eat at the table and share a meal, drink the same drink, eat the same food. Why is that? What are we doing? What, is, what has happened is we've got on mission together with Jesus. And so, so, so you're wondering, like, how can I have this? Like, where does this show up? Like, sometimes you'll show up to church looking for friendship. I don't blame you. There's some really good people here, some really cool people here. You should totally hang out with them and totally be friends with them. But if you come to church trying to use the church to get friends, it just won't work. If you go to community groups saying, all right, these are gonna be my people. So you show up at 6.30 and you're like, when does the friendship start? And I, I know we laugh at it, but some of you are honestly doing that. Or you get on a service team and you're like, okay, friendship, here we go. And the reality is, that friendship happens shoulder to shoulder on mission together, moving the same direction, longing for the same things. And so that's the thing. Jesus is our peace. He made us have peace with one another. And some of you in your life don't have peace. And I'm talking about with Christians. The hostility hasn't died. You're still frustrated with one another over your sins. Like me and Carrie, like yesterday, like we were just sitting there have, hanging out, drinking coffee, talking about the past and everything was good. And then I did one of those like, hey, you know when you do this? And then she's like, oh yeah, well, I see yours and raise you a hundred. You know when you do this? And I'm like, yeah, but you know, you did this. And she's like, well, do you remember 25 years ago? When, and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, you know, Braveheart, you know, paint my face blue, let's go. And we can do that with the best of them, y'all. Like where you're face to face blaming each other. And here's the practical tool how the hostility dies. Because most of us, if you're apart from Christ, the hostility stays and the relationship dies. But inside the kingdom, the hostility dies and the relationship stays. How does that happen? Well, we go from face-to-face -face blaming each other to shoulder-to-shoulder -to -shoulder living on mission, naming our sins at the cross of Jesus. We've literally rigged it where you have to do that. Like, it's gonna be hard for you to argue. Maybe, maybe you can have a thumb war on your phone right now. And sometimes, it like before people have told me after service, like, you see me back there fighting with my sister? It's like, no, that was very incognito. Like, yeah, we were having a thumb war. I don't know why I told you that. Anyway, <laughs> I really don't. But there's been times where me and Carrie have literally had to get, we have a love seat in our house. We don't sit at it now, like we're aggressive 
my kids play rough. We broke some beams. So if you like restore furniture, hit me up. (laughs) But we got this love seat. We used to literally sit in it and, and we should have yesterday and just started, yeah, have the same subject and talk about the very same thing. But rather than it be accusation, it be confession. I can say my sin, she can say her sin, and we trust that Jesus has paid in full for those things. And that brings unity. We're different, we have different preferences. I'm an early morning person, she's a night owl. You know, I'm, I don't know, we're just so opposite. The thing that brings us together is the mission of Jesus and the love that he's put in our hearts for each other. So we're shoulder to shoulder naming our sin. And so I don't know if you've ever been on a walk or tried to run with people and then you might get into it a little bit and to fight, you have to stop and turn and face each other. But you said, right? I'll never, I don't need to tell you this, Never mind. But talk, we don't have time for it. And it might be one of y'all and I don't need to tell your stuff. So this keeps my job. So anyways, you're, you're, you're face-to-face fighting with each other. But if you just walk and keep going, you can't fight because your heart's pumping. There's like breath in your lungs coming in, coming out. You don't want to waste it on arguing. Let's just finish this hike. And then all of a sudden you're back shoulder to shoulder and you're just, you have unity on let's not die on this mountain. Let's literally come on, you know, where we live, let's go down, let's go home and and live. Like when you're heading the same direction. So let me back this up to the friendship thing. Friendship is not the mission of the church. Jesus didn't live, die, raised from the dead to make us friends. He made us family. Now, I don't know if you, have you ever been to a family reunion? There's weird people there. And they're your weird people. You wouldn't start a band with them or a business. But if they said, I need you, you'd come running because there's a bond that's different than friendship. So in the church, we have a bond that's stronger than affinity. But I'm telling you, when you're shoulder to shoulder pleading for the Lord to save this husband or pleading for the Lord to save this mom or this dad, begging God for evidence of grace in your wayward teenager's life because you raised them up, they were baptized with a profession of faith and now they live like hell and God, was that real? And you're pleading together, you're, you're, you're all funding, you're, you're, you live in smaller homes, you take less vacations because your generosity is so profound because you wanna fund that ministry in the kids or you wanna see the church thrive and not walk with a limp. You want things to be well taken care of so that this is a fertile ground for people to meet Jesus. Like when you're on that kind of mission, you do get friendship, but friendship is the byproduct of being shoulder to shoulder on mission. It just truly is. And so who comes to mind? Who is on your mind? That Where is the hostility? Where, there's places where hostility should be. And, and I don't mean treat people with hostility, but I've got friends in my life that, that are hostiles. What I mean by that is they're not worshipers of Jesus and I relate to them as such. So I pray for them that they'll meet Jesus. I love them in a way that I hope they meet Jesus. You know, Jesus is the same guy who flipped over tables, built a cat, you know, built a whip and drove people out of the church. But he's also the, the same guy who said, Judas, sit down and have a meal with me. You know, hashtag Judas ate too, whatever that means. I see it all over the, the socials. <laughs> the thing is, you can't just edit stuff out right away. Anyway, how do we do that? You need to get face to face or move from face to face to shoulder to shoulder. I don't know who that is for you, but I know I'm speaking metaphorically, but sometimes literally Jesus killed the hostility 
Those outside the kingdom, yeah, they're hostiles. But how do we relate to them? Through compassion. Inside this family, and it may not be a person in this church, but God has given you the capacity to confess your sins. He's given you the capacity to forgive those who sinned against you. I get consequences. I get erosion of trust. I get, I have to watch you now from a distance or maybe we shouldn't be in the same group anymore. I get that. But if there's no condemnation from Lord Jesus against us, there should be no condemnation from one another because he's killed the hostility. So who's on your mind? What's the quickest way to getting shoulder to shoulder? It's getting back on mission, living for Jesus alongside other brothers and sisters. Let's pray.